Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joining with us over in Stevens Point and Appleton this morning. And let's <clears throat> recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Good to have you all with us this morning. Uh, today is uh, Missions Sunday. This is uh, once a month we take a special offering at the end of the service uh, to support our missions outreaches around the world. Uh, we just finished up doing our <clears throat> Advent conspiracy around Christmas time. We've got a report there. Uh, the previous year, we raised $17,371. This last Christmas, we raised $28,288. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And our overall missions for the year now, so just a few months into the year, but uh, so far uh, this year, we're over last year, as you can see, 26000 versus 18000 I want to encourage you to continue to give in these missions outreaches. We had uh, a couple of outreaches just recently. One was uh, going over to Myanmar. And this is the, uh, is that a Bible school or just Bible college there and stuff like that? How many kids go to that uh, whole deal? <clears throat> 80 in the school. All right. It's part of the, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> My mind's not working this morning. Orphanage, thank you. I feel like an orphan. I can't think. Anyway, <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is Bob in a very nice-looking robe as he spoke <laughs> at, the, at this event. Now, what's really nice about this, I think we have a next picture or not. Is that, yeah, there they are. They're breaking ground. <clears throat> in addition to the monies you just saw on the screen, we had people come up and separately give us $30,000 to take to Myanmar to help them build uh, these new buildings that they were wanting to build. So that's just wonderful when beyond anything we say, people just start coming forward. So a lot of people have a heart for this place. And so they raised uh, $30,000 They went up and uh, they broke ground for these uh, new buildings uh, out at the uh, orphanage in Myanmar. We also had a group just come back from Guatemala. And uh, there they are playing around in the water in a, in a well they went down there to put in a well in an area where they didn't have clean water. Uh, it went, and there's our crew. <clears throat> it went so well. Their goal was to put in one well. It went in so fast, they actually wound up putting in two. So it kind of got double. <clears throat> <laughs> Look like oil drillers there. But uh, anyway, very, very cool. If you've never done one of these trips, it's really life-changing. Talk to anybody who has done it. They love it. They are so blessed. They're never the same again. If you haven't done a trip like this, you need to make plans to go on one of this. Talk to your campus pastors over there in Appleton or in Stevens Point here in Green Bay. 
<clears throat> find out about the next trip and say, man, we'd, we'd like to go on that. What do I need to do to go and, uh, and make plans to come? It will be a wonderful thing. I want to encourage all of you to continue to come out on Wednesday nights as we teach the scriptures on Wednesday nights. I always tell you people who go to church regularly uh, succeed so much better in life. And whenever you hear about these studies that say people who go to church are healthier and better marriages and all, all the ways of measuring this, now, whenever they say that, you have to look in the fine print. They're not talking about people who go to church on occasion. Uh, it literally, you'll see it, it's for people who go to church more than once a week. Not only do they come every Sunday, but they come for a, a midweek Bible study or something like that. We want to encourage you. Your life will be better. A new study just came out again a couple of weeks ago, and this one talked about longevity. And they said it's absolutely measurable. People who go to church regularly actually live longer than people who do not. It's quite stunning. But it's not people who come on occasion to visit once in a while, go to church, don't go to church, go to church, never come on Wednesday nights. No, no, no. You can die early like the rest of them. <laughs> you need to come all the time, regularly. It makes a difference in your life. I promise you, you start doing this, I guarantee you, your life one year from today will be better than it is right now. So how can you say that? Because all you got to do is look at the people right now. The people who struggle the most in our church are the ones who don't come to church very regularly and certainly never come on Wednesday nights. The people who are the most successful, happiest, best relationships, best finances, everything in their life turns out to be the ones who come continually, Sundays, Wednesday nights, uh, continue to grow in their faith. It'll make a big difference in your life. It's very measurable. It's absolutely predictable. It's your call. We are uh, doing a, a series of messages in this new, new year called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. We're going back and looking into the Old Testament and discussing events that are important for everybody to know. I know a lot of people are fairly new in their faith at Celebration Church just over the last few years, and you don't really know a lot of these events. You've heard about them, or maybe, you know, when you were a kid, you heard, you know, a Bible class or something about it. But we're taking a look at these events. They're very important events and help us to understand who we are and why we're here and why things are the way that they are. And we start with Genesis. Genesis is all about the beginnings. Uh, there's, uh, and, and really most of Genesis and all of the Old Testament is really about where did the children of Israel come from? Where did the Jews come from? Because from that came Jesus the Messiah, which brings us to today. So there's a lot of all of that. But in the first part of Genesis, <clears throat> in just a few chapters, and they don't go into great detail, they talk about four significant events. One is the creation. We've talked about that. The second is the uh, fall of mankind, that sin that just totally jacked up everything uh, the way it is today. The third one is what we call the flood, the flood of Noah. And the fourth one is the Tower of Babel, which we'll eventually get to here. But uh, we're talking now about the flood, this, this flood that kind of uh, was a major reset on the population of the earth. Now, <clears throat> Christian scientists and obviously secular scientists don't agree because secular scientists don't want to <laughs> believe in the Bible. It's a little dangerous for them. If they believe part of it, then maybe they have to believe more. But uh, they go out of their way to try and explain it away that that's not how it happened. Da, da, da. And most of them would argue that there was never any big worldwide flood or anything else like that. And Christian science will come back with all kinds of different uh, arguments and evidence and stuff like that. Actually, the strongest evidence that impacts me when I look at this is simply based on population growth. Okay. Now, we know the world has currently 7 billion people in it. 
We know how many people were here a thousand years ago. We know how many people were here two thousand years ago. We know how many people were here. It's not a mystery. It's not like this all been on a corner. Everybody absolutely knows. Scientists, demographers, they all know exactly how many people are here and at what rate the earth has been self-populating. And it's varied at times. Sometimes it had, you know, greater amounts of growth. Other times because of major plagues or wars or whatever, uh, lower. Uh, but on average, the world has enjoyed a population growth of about a little less than half a percent every year, every year, every year. Actually, in recent years, it's been more than that. We're currently double that. We're like a little over 1%. But it's, again, it's not a mystery. You know exactly what has been happening. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. Based on what has happened over low these thousands of years, that is very measurable, we know a fact, and that is this. The human race doubles approximately every 155 years. It's a measurable thing. It's an absolute fact. I mean, there's nothing to debate here. It doubles about every 155 years. Well, put this in reverse. Take 7 billion people and start cutting it in half, going backwards 155 years. You'll get back to 4,500 years ago, there was just a handful of people. The exact time when the Bible records the flood of Noah. This is absolutely fascinating when you look at it. Now, some people will say, no, there wasn't really a flood. And someone emailed me recently and said, Pastor, I don't know, the scientists say that there's evidence of civilization, you know, going back 10,000 years, which is still really relatively new. Something to think about. There's no evidence of any kind of civilization. Civilization was just, really, just thousands of years ago. But they'll push past the Bible dates and say, well, maybe 10,000 years ago. But here's the problem. <clears throat> if there was 10,000 years ago and there has been no interruption in the human experience, and everything doubles 155 years, you now have 64 doubling events. The way it is now, we've experienced 24, 29 since, uh, since the flood. But if there is no flood, and there was evidence, oh, 10,000 years ago, you know, I got 64. Now, I have a little prop here this morning. <clears throat> it's my chessboard. And uh, on a chessboard, and it caught my attention because this is, there's actually 64 squares on a chessboard. Now, if you were to take, let's say I take this chessboard and I put pennies on all the, uh, the 64 squares, uh, uh, would you give me everything you own in exchange for this? No, you wouldn't do it? All right. Well, what if I got fat? What if I double? What if I put one penny here, two pennies here, four pennies here, Eight pennies here, six. Would you now give me everything that you own in place for it? Uh, one guy's smart. He goes, yeah. See, rest of you going, no way, because he knows the math. It would be a smart move on your end. I'll tell you why. And if you doubt it, get your little calculators out on your phones. I will not be offended if you're playing with your phone. Just check it out. Take one times two times two times two times two. If you do it 64 times, you will have 100 quintillion pennies. And considering there's 100 pennies to a dollar, that would leave you with a mere one quintillion dollars. Now, let me tell you how much money that is. You start with hundreds, you get to thousands, you get to millions, you get to billions, you get to trillions, you get to quadrillions, and then you get to quintillions. 
just on seven, 64 squares, starting with one, doubling every square. The last square now has 100 quintillion pennies. I, too, would make that trade. It would be a very nice trade. That's a lot of money, more money than anyone has ever had. Now, stop and think about this. If they say that civilization and mankind has gone unfettered for the last 10,000 years, where are all the people? There's a massive problem here. Say, well, there wasn't that much population. You would have to have such a minimal population growth to get to the numbers we have today. It's off the charts. Mankind would be barely able to reproduce itself for 10,000 years. Now, let me take this to the next level. The evolution. See, they throw these huge numbers. And it sounds, oh, it's gazillions of years. You know, anything can happen. But the, the math doesn't hold up. They say that mankind actually showed up in a very primitive form. But it was what is currently mankind. A hundred thousand years ago. Can you imagine the math there? I mean, it doesn't hold up. Where the heck are all the people? If there is a hundred thousand years of mankind in caves, scratching on walls, where is everybody? Now, perhaps they were too dumb to know how to reproduce. <laughs> uh, how's it work? I don't know. You know the, the, here's the irony of it. If there's any group of people in the world that would be in favor of a worldwide population reset 4,500 years ago, it should be evolutionists. Because then it explains why there's only 7 billion people today. For them to say, no, there's no such thing, then what the heck? Where is everybody? Well, there were diseases. That's a lot of diseases, all right? That means the vast majority of human beings never lived long enough to reproduce. I mean, it was just constant death. Mankind was on the verge of extinction constantly for 100,000 years. Come on, I'm telling you, it takes more faith to believe those people than it does the Bible. The people are not there. You take what we know to be a fact, the population, the world population doubles every 155 years. You go backwards from our present population, you will wind up with a handful of people getting off a boat about 4,500 years ago. Now, why did God do this major reset of human life on earth? Well, then we go to Genesis and we see what happens right away. The initial impact of sin into the world was dramatic. We can't get our heads around it. You know, so they ate of a tree. Who cares? I'm telling you, it was a major stinking deal when they decided to rebel against God and this rush of sin and rebellion filled their hearts. We pick it up in chapter four of Genesis. It says, Adam made love to his wife. That's why I argue that the fall happened very quickly because that would have been right at the top of my list. But anyway... It didn't get around to after the fall to get around to this. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man, first one. Later, she gave birth to his older brother, Abel. And by the way, these people lived for hundreds of years. I assume Adam and Eve were fertile myrtles, all right? They probably just kept having them pop, 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 pop. That's how all these people start coming out, all right? But it just talks about Abel and Cain here because of what they're about to tell us next. Now, Abel kept flocks. Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel brought, 
and offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, on his offering, but on Cain, uh, not so much. Why? I don't know why. Who cares? It doesn't matter. All we know is that Cain got mad about it. So Cain got very angry. It wasn't fair. And his face was downcast, like a child. And the Lord says to Cain, yo, what's up? Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, I'm telling you, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God has warned. This is the very next generation, the first kids that come along. Listen, you have to resist this thing called sin or it will eat you alive. Well, that's exactly what it did because they didn't resist it. And Cain gets mad at Abel and uh, Cain says to his brother, hey, let's go out to the field. And while we're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The first murder, the first kids, I mean, the very next people on the face of the earth kill each other because of this crazy thing loosed in them of this rebellion and bitterness and anger called sin. And this keeps going on and on and on until we get to Genesis, the sixth chapter. And by the way, these time frames that we're talking about, it's very measurable. The Bible literally tells you how long Adam lived, how many years, and when the next kids were born, and how long they lived, and how the next kids were, and later, it literally, you can actually just count it up. That's how we know from a biblical standpoint that going back to the time of Adam was about 6,000 years ago, give or take whatever. Now, secularists and, uh, you know, uh, evolution stuff, they mock Christians. Oh, they say the earth 6,000 years ago. No, no, we never said the earth was 6,000 years ago. We have no idea how old the earth is. Okay? Remember in the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Right at the beginning, the earth's already there. We don't know how long it's been here. It could be here. That could have been here for gazillions of years. Sure, who knows? And the Bible says there's darkness on the face of the deep. I mean, the world is a mess. Now, why is that? Because God never creates messes. Something happened. There's something catastrophic that happened on earth. Now, this is just theory. It's theory based on putting things together from the Bible. We know that when Satan rebelled against God, this is a major rebellion in eternity. Boom, this clash of, boom, that must have been like had to be incredible. And the Bible says God smacks Satan and they fall to this rock that we're on right now, the earth. My guess is when they hit it, it brought destruction of astronomical proportions. And maybe that's when all of a sudden dinosaurs and everything stopped. I mean, I don't know. All I know is at that point, he rolls back the water. He tells them to replenish the earth. A small word, replenish. You know what it means? If you replenish, it means it was plenished in the first place. See, people skip this stuff. So, and that from Adam was 6,000 years ago. It was all the critters that were there. Who knows? But that's the time frame. So things are going along. And the Bible says in chapter 6 of Genesis, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. It was extremely violent. We just read the first thing that happens, Cain kills Abel. And it didn't stop there. It just kept going. There was something in this first initial exposure to sin and rebelling against God was traumatic and devastating to the human race. It ran out of control. It was like an unbelievable mess. God had to stop it or there'd be nothing left. It was full of violence. Imagine being 
you know, in the Middle East with ISIS and people going around cutting off people's heads and burning them alive and all that. That would have been a normal day back then. This was, the earth was filled with this incredible violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people had corrupt, on earth had corrupted their ways. And so God said to Noah, here comes Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of it. It wasn't just about sin. There was plenty of sin. But I mean, they had just spun out of control. It was insane. And God said, I'm surely going to destroy the whole lot of them. Why? Because of, of the disaster of this initial rush of sin. So we read about in Genesis, the seventh chapter, Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark that he had built, and because I told him to build this ark, to escape the waters of the flood. Then pairs of clean, unclean animals, birds, creatures, everything that moves along the ground, male and female, all came to Noah, and they entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven, after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. What had happened? God had told him, okay, after all this time, and it took him a long time to build this ark, finally said, okay, listen, a week out from now, this is when it's all going to happen. So all this stuff happens. They get on this ark. And then and I want you to see the, the detail of timing here. Because they tell you literally how long people live. There's parts of the Old Testament that will give you a headache reading. It's just all about numbers and this and all the population, who gave birth. That's why you could, at the beginning of the, of, of, of the Christmas story, they give you the genealogy of who gave birth to whom, to whom, to whom, to all up to Jesus. It was, it's all very measurable. It wasn't, it wasn't done in a, in a closet. And it says here, just to give you an idea of how detailed, when did the flood happen? They don't say once upon a time. They say this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, and they lived very long lives back then. I'll explain to you in just a minute. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month. That's pretty significant and very detailed. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heaven were open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. What happened there? I don't know. Now, I'm going to give you a potential theory that I've heard from Christian scientists. They don't know. Nobody really knows. At least, you know, Christians have a little humility. They say, well, I'm not exactly sure it happened. These people come along and say, well, this is exactly what happened 100,000 years ago. Like they were there. I mean, for heaven's sakes. It wasn't C-SPAN. All right? So here's a theory. Now, we read this. This theory is based on, on this very simple uh, verse. Found Genesis, the second chapter, verse 5. Uh, it says, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So here's the theory based on this verse, and whether it's accurate, I'm just giving you plausibility here. Apparently, the ecosystem was very different, and we're going to find out it becomes very different after the flood. What we think the earth was like before the flood is not like it was like. We don't know what it was like. I mean, it's just totally different. According to this, the way the ground got water was through streams and, and all these kind of different things. And there wasn't rain as we experience it today. This, these group of scientists theorized that there was probably a big covering over the earth of vapor and all kinds of stuff that did two things. One, it filtered the, out the harmful rays of the sun and why people lived so long, because there wasn't all this radiation coming through. The other thing is that if there would be such a thing, the pressure on Earth, the barometric pressure on Earth, would be much greater than it is today. And as a result, 
people would live longer. Even to this day, if people are having a hard time healing, one of the things doctors and stuff will do is put them in like barometric pressure chambers. Why do they do that? Because you heal faster. They put you in a thing where just more pressure and your body just heals faster. Why? I don't know. Why? It just does. They know it does. Well, apparently the whole world, they're theorizing, was like this. Somebody cut themselves, broke something. It just healed right away. Because of all this pressure, you're not getting the rays of the sun. That's why we got people living hundreds of years. They're not drying up like we do. I'm having to put on sunscreen all the time. We still dry up. All right? So all this. So here's what they theory. Because it, it says that when the flood came, the first thing did God did was bust open the floodgates underneath the earth. All this water comes rushing out. And all this rain comes crashing down. It was like that entire thing is like he just snapped it and it all collapsed and started just condensing and rain, rain, and clouds. This massive, massive, massive flood. And the only ones that survived, and it tells you exactly how long it took for the water to dry up, all that. You can read that all on your own time. So they get through this. Now, everything is different. The Earth's ecosystem has changed dramatically. Up until this time, human beings only ate vegetables. That's what the Bible teaches. They didn't eat meat. All right? We read that in Genesis, the ninth chapter. Then God blessed Noah and his sons. This is after the flood. said, listen, be fruitful, increase, and fill the earth. Why? Because there's nobody left. All right? And you do the 155 doubling, and you get to 2017 and 7 billion people. And he says, fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and the fish of the sea. It's all given into your hands. Apparently, before the flood and the ecosystem had changed, animals were not afraid of people. You could walk up to birds. They didn't take off. You could come up to deer. They didn't go running, you know. There's this constant. All of nature is constantly doing like this about humans. All right? Even birds. Uh, fish, they'll take off. He says, now this dread will fall on all creatures because everything that lives and moves will be now food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So up in this point, they just ate plants. Now, all of a sudden, it changes. Why? There's a massive difference in the ecosystem. What is it? We don't know. I just gave you a theory. Not as much barometric pressure now. The rays of the sun coming down. Now they need the protein. I don't know. All we know is from this moment on, people need to eat meat. Uh, and if you're a vegetarian, don't write me. But people need to eat meat. And, and we, we live shorter lives. And while these guys initially kept living for a long, it didn't take long. By the time we get to Abraham, which is just a few chapters now, he lived, what, 125 years? I mean, is it, we, people max out at that now. And then most are gone before 80. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Life dramatically changes. The lifespan is shortened up, all this stuff. All of this to point to the fact that there was this massive, massive population reset because of the destructive power of sin that initially flooded into the earth more than mankind could handle. And it wasn't much longer than after this. Abraham comes along, and now we, and we'll get there. We're going to talk about that and uh, uh, how Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. He's also the father of, the, of Muslims. I don't know if you know that. They both trace back to Abraham, and we'll show you how that works. Uh, that's why Abraham's the one who introduced uh, circumcision. That's why Jews are circumcised and Muslims are circumcised as well. That's why Jews don't touch pork and neither do Muslims. They come from the same deal, you know, but they split off and now they hate each other, right? Uh, it's very interesting. We'll, we'll take a look at all of that. But that's, this is, they're just in a hurry to get to that point and then it really slows down and gives us lots of details. 
All they're telling us at this point. Uh, and if none of this stuff happened, then why even talk about it? What's the point, you know? You start putting it in kind of the context we're talking about this morning. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And probably the biggest argument that this is all real, because there's some Christians say, well, I don't know if that stuff was really real. It probably wasn't really Noah. Uh, our very first verse, which I skipped over, is in Matthew, the 24th chapter. This is Jesus talking. And he says this, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, living life, having a good time, bratwurst parties, whatever. Just hang out. No, sorry, no bratwurst. They didn't eat meat. That's wrong. Uh, eating <laughs> salad. What a lousy way to live. I don't know, but they lived a long time, right? What do you grill out? Salad. You want to grill your salad? Sure, why not? You know, I don't know. But anyway, they're just doing life until the day Noah entered the ark. And then, boom, they were all caught off guard. They didn't know what's coming. And he says, it's going to be the same when I return. And he's going to return. We, when, we don't know, but it's going to be the same deal. Most people on the earth, just ignoring it, are going to miss it. And we don't want to miss it. We want to be ready. Anyway, the point of this is if Noah was just a made-up story, Jesus would not have referred to it in the way he did. He talked about it very specifically. By name, Noah, the flood, what happened? Jesus verifies that this event took place. I've heard Christians who disagree with this say, well, no, Jesus was just wrong. <laughs> really? You, know, you want to open that rattle? So anyway, that's, that's all to describe uh, how life changes so dramatically from early mankind. And people say, well, you know, we're, how, pe- how can people live so long? How about this and how about this? You know, uh, but there's just a major change, a major reset to the world that we live in today. And if you do the population thing, it all makes sense now of why all of it was reset about 4,500 years ago. Now, the point of all this is all we're trying to do is set up and explain why we're here, what's going on. Why did Jesus die on the cross? What was all this about? That all becomes clearer and clearer as we look at these significant events of the Old Testament. And uh, we will continue. The next major event is the Tower of Babel, and we'll get into that. Uh, And then from there on, we'll get into uh, Abraham. It's going to be very interesting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to set right all that which was set wrong because of the rebellion of man and all the sin and craziness in the world, you came to make it all right. Lord, if we just simply would put our hope and trust in you, instead of sin controlling us and driving us to violence and all kinds of nasty stuff, we now have your Holy Spirit in us that drives us to love and to kindness to our fellow man. Help us, Lord God, to walk in that wonderful love and to bless those all around us that they might come to know the wonderful grace that we have found in you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.